1: From the jill schwartz memorial library here in sultry savannah this is obscure season three wuthering heights the great american novel wuthering heights i am your host your friend your ear lover your literary mansplainer in chief and Georgianologist michael ian black thrilled as always to continue this journey with you so far i have to say of the three books that we've read Jude the Obscure, Frankenstein, and now Wuthering Heights. This one has been the easiest to get into. Uh, Jude the Obscure was a little bit plodding in the beginning. There was a lot of verbiage. There was a lot of, uh, I don't know, moroseness. And it was fun hearing about how much everybody hated poor Jude. But I felt like it took a little while to get going. Frankenstein, not only did it take a long time to get going, but the first, I don't know, however many chapters of it, aren't even the story of Frankenstein. But this thing, it gets right in. I mean, you know, I I can't argue with that. Hey, I'm showing up to rent your place, and now all of a sudden we got a story. Perfect. That's just perfect modern novelistic architecture. I mean, I guess Jude does too, but you know, it just it it takes a little it takes a little while to unpack. Here we've just got tension right from the get go, and I like that. I like that a lot. Um... My Hitlerian haircut is growing in a little bit from last week. I look terrific. Uh, What else is going on with me? I was thinking about maybe starting another podcast, um, this time focused exclusively on the store CVS, which I have made a running joke on my Twitter feed about how much I like CVS. And I thought, well, maybe it would be funny to do a podcast about CVS. And then I thought, oh, Michael, that's another terrible idea. I mean, what even is that? What 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 even do you talk about when you talk about CVS? What? I mean, a million things. The great selection, history. You can talk to people who work there or or who have worked there. You could talk about their business model. You could talk about their design, their history, all kinds of things about CVS, probably. But then I thought, do I really want to do that? All right. Why and why, and why would I do that? Why would I do that? because it's a dumb idea and and I'm attracted to dumb ideas uh, that's why we're here after all, are we not? I was also thinking about starting a youtube channel i don't know I don't know what that would be I don't even know if that would be fun. Would that be fun to have a YouTube channel? maybe now I don't even know what I would do though what would you, what do you do on YouTube if I had a channel seems like Seems like maybe that's a way to make some money if I could figure out what to even talk about because I don't have anything to talk about. My life's a bore. Am I going to talk about RVs, CVS, poker? What am I going to talk about? I don't know. So, you know, all kinds of things floating around in my head. That's what happens when you're unemployed and anxious. You just get ideas. And I, uh, that, that's, a, that's a good thing, I suppose, that ideas kind of percolate here and there. It's like I'm reheating reheating coffee, you know? It's like, you know, the coffee's been sitting out for a while and I think to myself, well, maybe it'll taste good if I just reheat it. So I let it percolate up again and then you sip it and you're like, nah, this is just old coffee. That's what I am, folks. I'm just old coffee at this point. And look, old coffee has its charms. I don't know what they are. And that's the problem. I don't know what they are. Coffee's been sitting in a pot long enough. You're like, you know what? I think we're better off just throwing it out and getting a new cup of coffee. Just brewing a whole new pot. And every day there's new pots of coffee. You know? Nobody mourns the old coffee. Nobody's like, oh, remember that pot of coffee that we had three days ago? Wish we had that again. No. Everybody's just like, the the new pot's fine. I like the new pot. I'm going to see how long I can keep comparing myself to an old pot of coffee. I don't even drink coffee, as you know. I drink English breakfast tea, which, like Wuthering Heights, is the finest American tea. Why don't we get into the book? I mean, we just finished chapter three. Lockwood... Has finally left Wuthering Heights. He's returned to the Grange through snow and tumult. He arrived. The servants at the house had given him up for dead. After only an evening, they just like, well, I guess he's dead. Let's start divvying up his things. But so they're they're I guess happy to see him, and uh, he goes up to retire to his room. Feeble as a kitten, he says, almost too much to enjoy the cheerful fire and smoking coffee which the servant has prepared for my refreshment. That was the end of chapter three. So let us commence chapter four Wuthering Heights. What vain weathercocks we are. Great way to start a chapter, right? What vain weathercocks. We are I mean, anytime you put together the words "weather and "cock" and you hyphenate them and then, and then and then you end with an exclamation mark I mean you're you're doing something right what vain weather cocks we are I who had determined to hold myself independent of all social intercourse and thanked my stars that at length I had lighted on a spot where it was next to impracticable I weak wretch, after maintaining till dusk a struggle with low spirits and solitude, was finally compelled to strike my colors, and under pretense of gaining information concerning the necessities of my establishment, I desired Mrs. Dean, when she brought in supper, to sit down while I ate it, hoping sincerely she would prove a regular gossip and either rouse me to animation or lull me to sleep by her talk. So he's, he's like, I'm not talking to anybody. I'm done. I'm just going to be by my lonesome here. I'm not going to talk to anybody. I'm not going to do anything. And then by dusk, he's already desiring companionship. See, Lockwood's opinion of himself as a uh, solitary fellow is just not borne out by activities. He's constantly seeking out socialization, and it's good for us or there'd be no book. So he's he's sitting down at dinner with uh, Mrs. Dean, and he says, you've lived here a considerable time. I commence. Did you not say 16 years? 18, sir. I came when the Mrs. was married to wait on her. After she died, the master retained me for his housekeeper. Indeed. So if I want to play poker, and I I know nobody's interested in this, but I have to drive two hours to Jacksonville, Florida, which I do on occasion. But it's a long drive. And so I put in, I was just looking on YouTube and found that Bill Bryson's a short history of everything was there in audiobook form. And I thought, well, that would be a, a pleasant companion on my trip down to Jacksonville, Florida. And one of uh, the reader, I don't know who it is, forgive me, the reader of the audiobook is very good, but does voices, you know, every time he does a new character, there's voices. And I kind of do that too, but I can't decide whether I like it or I hate it. Maybe it depends on the quality of the acting. And I know my voice acting is not very good. How do I know? Because I have auditioned for over the years, maybe 10,000 voice acting projects and have booked none of them. I say that without exaggeration, none of them. I have done some voice acting work, but only because somebody said, hey, you want to do this thing? And I said, sure. And I was notably fired from Finding Nemo. I was, uh, I don't know if I've said this before or not, but I was originally uh, Crush, the sea turtle. They asked me to do that. And I said, great, I'll do, I'll do Crush in Finding Nemo. And then they fired me. Uh, so, uh, so she's been there for 18. And by the way, it was devastating when they fired me. Absolutely devastating. Not because I so much wanted to be in Finding Nemo, but because I wanted the residual checks from a Pixar movie. I didn't give a shit about being in a cartoon. I just wanted the residual checks. There ensued a pause. She was not a gossip, I feared, unless about her own affairs, and those could hardly interest me. However, having studied for an interval, with a fist on either knee, and a cloud of meditation over her ruddy countenance, she ejaculated, I I, I, I have not commented yet, but the constant use of the verb ejaculate, has been something of a distraction for me. Look, I try not to be purient on this podcast. I have done my best, but every now and again, I see the word ejaculate, and I think, I wish she had just used a different verb. I know, you know, the Bronte sisters, I know they weren't purient themselves. They weren't working blue. They're they're just using the language of the day, but it's a lot of ejaculating in this book so far. I mean, at least three or four instances of people ejaculating, and it is a distraction. So, uh, she, so she's sitting there for a little bit, she puts her fist on her knees, she thinks about it for a second, and then she says, ah, times have greatly changed since then. Yes, I remarked. You've seen a good many alterations, I suppose. I have, and troubles too, she said. Oh, I'll turn the talk on my landlord's family, I thought to myself. A good subject to start, and that pretty girl widow. I should like to know her history, whether she be a native of the country or, as is more probable, an exotic that the surly indigene. The surly indigene. So indigene, what is that? Somebody who is indignous, somebody who is... uh, native to the soil, will not recognize for kin, meaning Heathcliff, I guess. With this intention, I asked Mrs. Dean why Heathcliff let Thrushcross Grange, okay, why Heathcliff let, meaning rents out, Thrushcross Grange, nearly impossible to say, Thrushcross, Thrushcross Grange, and preferred living in a situation and residence so much inferior. "'Is he not rich enough to keep the estate in good order?' I inquired. "'Rich, sir,' she returned. "'He has. Nobody knows what money, and every year it increases. "'Yes, yes, he's rich enough to live in a finer house than this. "'But he's very near, close-handed, "'and if he had meant to flick to Thrushcross Grange "'as soon as he heard of a good tenant, "'he could not have borne to miss the chance of getting a few hundreds more.' It is strange people should be so greedy when they are alone in the world. He had a son, it seems. Yes, he had one. He is dead. And that young lady, Mrs. Heathcliff, is his widow? Yes. Where did she come from originally? Why, sir, she is my late master's daughter. Catherine Linton was her maiden name. I nursed her, poor thing. I did wish Mr. Heathcliff would remove here, and then we might have been together again. What Catherine Linton, I exclaimed, astonished, but a minute's reflection convinced me it was not my ghostly Catherine. Then I continued, my predecessor's name was Linton? It was. And who is it that Earnshaw, Hareton Earnshaw, who lives with Mr. Heathcliff, are they relations? No. He is the late Mrs. Linton's nephew. The young lady's cousin then. Yes. And her husband was her cousin also. One on the mother's, the other on the father's side. Heathcliff married Mr. Linton's sister. I'm utterly baffled. Anytime we get, even in my own family, anytime somebody tries to explain to me who is who in my family or anybody else's family, I'm immediately lost. Th- this is not uh, a good quality to have. It seems to me that one should be able to follow one's lineage, and but I have a terrible time with it, and an even worse time when hearing about other people's lineage. So we're going to have to go back. I'm going to have to go back to understand this. Okay, so Catherine Linton was her maiden name. Right. Okay. Uh, She's my late master's daughter. So he's the guy that died, right? That he read about. Catherine Linton was her maiden name. All right. So she was raised here. Okay. So then Lockwood's confused. Catherine Linton. So this was not the ghostly Catherine. Then I continued my predecessor's name was Linton. So the original master of the house was called Linton. Very good. We got that. It was. And who is that Earnshaw, Hareton Earnshaw, who lives with Mr. Heathcliff? Are they relations? Okay. So there is Heathcliff. There's the young man who is gruff and a dick. He lives there. And then Mrs. Heathcliff lives there. Are any of them related by blood? No. He is the late Mrs. Linton's nephew. So, Catherine Linton's nephew. Fine. Got it. The young lady's cousin then. Okay. So, if the young lady, that makes her the cousin because Linton is, would be the generation before. So, Linton and Earnshaw are cousins. I guess by marriage. <laughs> yes. Yes, and her husband was her cousin also. So she married her cousin, okay? One of them was on the mother's side, the other on the father's side. So there's two cousins. Heathcliff's son was her cousin, okay? Heathcliff married Mr. Linton's sister, well, who the fuck is Mr. Linton? Who's Mr. Linton? Oh, oh, oh. Mr. But wait, I don't understand. Heathcliff married Mr. Linton's sister. But Catherine Linton... So Linton was the master of the house.
0: Oh, God,
1: this is so frustrating. Linton was the master of the house. And Heathcliff married his sister. So that's not the same Catherine. Okay. Well, I guess we'll get there. I see the... So this is Lockwood talking again. I see the house at Wuthering Heights has Earnshaw carved over the front door. Are they an old family? Very old, sir. And Hareton is the last of them, as our Miss Kathy is of us. I mean, of the Lintons. Have you been to Wuthering Heights? I beg pardon for asking, but I should like to hear how she is. Mrs. Heathcliff, she looked very well and very handsome, yet I think not very happy. Oh, dear, I don't wonder. And how did you like the master? A rough fellow, rather, Mrs. Dean. Is not that his character? Rough as a saw edge and hard as windstone. (laughs) The less you meddle with him, the better. He must have had some ups and downs in life to make him such a churl. Do you know anything of his history? And I guess before we find out his history, the Churl's history, why don't we take a break and return here on Obscure.
0: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you.
1: Back on Obscure trying to get the story of the Lintons and the Earnshaws straight in our heads. And it, it's a damnable thing for me. Probably you understand it better than I do because I understand it very little, if at all. But we've established that there are cousins aplenty, there are nephews, there are dead masters and dead sisters and dead brothers and dead people scattered around this estate like so many chicken bones. Um, and now Lockwood is inquiring of Mrs. Dean, uh, on Heathcliff's history. And she's just said he's a dick. And we know that. So do you know anything of his history? It's a cuckoo, sir. I know all about it, except where he was born and who were his parents and how he got his money at first. So she, so again, Emily making little jokes here. I know everything there is to know about him except the most important things. Hareton has been cast out like an unfledged dunnock. <laughs> an unfledged dunnock. Well, why don't I crank up the old research machine here and see what a dunnock is. An unfledged dunnock. So I turn deep into the research machine. And let off a little steam here. And it's a bird about the size of a sparrow. Uh, all right. It's a, it's a perching bird. Okay, so, an unfledged dunnock, cast out. The unfortunate lad is the only one in all this parish that does not guess how he has been cheated. Well, Mrs. Dean, it will be a charitable deed to tell me something of my neighbors. I feel I, feel I shall not rest if I go to bed so be good enough and sit and chat an hour. Oh, certainly, sir, I'll just fetch a little sewing, and then I'll sit as long as you please, but you've caught cold. I saw you shivering, and you must have some gruel to drive it out. The worthy woman bustled off, and I crouched nearer the fire. My head felt hot, and the rest of me chill. Moreover, I was excited, almost to a pitch of foolishness through my nerves and brain. This caused me to feel not uncomfortable, but rather fearful, as I am still of serious effects on the incidents of today and yesterday. She returned presently, bringing a smoking basin and a basket of work, and having placed the former on the hob, drew in her seat, evidently pleased to find me so companionable. Uh, Just a quick little thing here. So he says, this caused me to feel not uncomfortable, but rather fearful, as I am still of serious effects from the incidents of today and yesterday, it's just an interesting writerly thing that it, he, the telling of the tale, seems to be present tense. Right? He's saying he, he's saying the incidents of today, meaning right now, and yesterday. So are we to understand that every night after he retires? From companionship, he goes upstairs and scribbles down all of these thoughts into some journal. Otherwise, it makes no sense. Um, it, 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 I mean, it doesn't matter particularly, but it takes me out of the story. Because, because in, in, in a first-person narration, I guess... There is always the question of, well, when is this story being told? How far into the future or how far into the past is the story from the time of its telling? And I guess uh, what Emily is saying is it is immediate. Fine. Before I came to live here, she commenced, waiting no further invitation to her story. I was almost always at Wuthering Heights because my mother had nursed Mr. Hindley Earnshaw. That was Hareton's father. Okay? Hareton's father was Hindley Earnshaw. And I got used to playing with the children. I ran errands too and helped to make hay and hung about the farm ready for anything that anybody would set me to. So she was raised there as well. She was raised there with her mother, who was nursemaid to Mr. Hindley Earnshaw. Fine. One fine summer morning, it was the beginning of harvest, I remember. Mr. Earnshaw, the old master, came downstairs dressed for a journey, and after he had told Joseph what was to be done during the day, he turned to Hindley and Cathy and me, for I sat eating my porridge with them, and he said, speaking to his son, So this is uh, the previous master Hindley. Earnshaw, who her mother nursed, speaking to his son. Now, my bonnie man, I'm going to Liverpool today. What shall I bring you? You may choose what you like. Only let it be little, for I shall walk there and back. Sixty miles each way. That is a long spell. He's walking sixty miles to Liverpool. Today, he says, I'm going to Liverpool today. And he's walking sixty miles. My goodness. Why not just take a horse? Well, maybe we'll find that out later. Hindley named a fiddle, and then he asked Miss Kathy. She was hardly six years old, but she could ride any horse in the stable, and she chose a whip. He did not forget me, for he had a kind heart, though he was rather severe sometimes. He promised to bring me a pocketful of apples and pears, and then he kissed his children goodbye and set off. <laughs> Mrs. Dean's voice is—my rendition of Mrs. Dean's voice is making me laugh and making me think, well, I understand why I don't get voice acting work. It seemed a long while to us all, the three days of his absence, and often did little Kathy ask when he would be home. Mrs. Earnshaw expected him by supper time on the third evening, and she put the meal off hour after hour. There were no signs of his coming, however— At last the children got tired of running down to the gate to look. Then it grew dark. She would have had them to bed, but they begged, sadly, to be allowed to stay up. And just about eleven o'clock, the door latch was raised quietly, and in stepped the master. He threw himself into a chair, laughing and groaning, and bid them all stand off, for he was nearly killed. He would not have such another walk for the Three Kingdoms. And at the end of it, to be flighted to death, he said, opening his great coat, which he held bundled up in his arms. See here, wife, I was never so beaten with anything in my life. But you must e'en take it as a gift of God, though it's as dark almost as if it came from the devil. We crowded round, and over Miss Kathy's head I had a peep. at a dirty, ragged, black-haired child, big enough both to walk and talk, Indeed, its face looked older than Catherine's, yet when it it was set on its feet, it only stared round and repeated over and over again some gibberish that nobody could understand. I was frightened, and Mrs. Earnshaw was ready to fling it out of doors. She did fly up, asking how he could fashion to bring that gypsy brat into the house when they had their own bairns to feed and fend for, what he meant to do with it, and whether he were mad. The master tried to explain the matter, but he was really half dead with fatigue, and all that I could make out amongst her scolding was a tale of his seeing it starving and houseless and as good as dumb in the streets of Liverpool, where he picked it up and inquired for its owner. Not a soul knew to whom it belonged, he said, and his money and time, being both limited, he thought it better to take it home with him at once than run into vain expenses there because he was determined he would not leave it as he found it. So clearly, that uh, this is Heathcliff we're talking about now. Uh, just some throwaway child on the streets of Liverpool who Mr. Earnshaw uh, found right there on the streets um, and brought him home. Would you do such a thing if you found... Such a waif as this on the streets? Would you just bring the kid home? I mean, in today's society, obviously, you'd call the police. You'd do something. You wouldn't just pick up a kid and bring it back to your house. But I guess times was different then. Nobody and nobody knew who the kid was. Nobody knew how he'd gotten there. Nobody knew who his parents were. And uh, the kid was speaking gibberish, you know, half-starved probably. So Earnshaw's like, well, I'll take care of the kid and brought him home with him. Well, the conclusion was that my mistress grumbled herself calm, and Mr. Earnshaw told me to wash it, and give it clean things, and let it sleep with the children. Hindley and Cathy contented themselves with looking and listening till peace was restored. Then both began searching their father's pockets for the presents he had promised them. The former was a boy of fourteen, but when he drew out what had been a fiddle crushed to morsels in the great coat, he blubbered aloud. And Kathy, when she learned the master had lost her whip in attending on the stranger, showed her humor by grinning and spitting at the stupid little thing, (laughs) earning, (laughs) earning for her pains a sound blow from her father to teach her cleaner manners. So, these Earnshaw kids are not starting things off on the right foot with Heathcliff. And perhaps it is no wonder that Heathcliff's manner is so gruff. Uh, It is his nature to be defensive. Well, let's stop there, why not? We've had some revelations about the history of the Earnshaws and the Lintons and Heathcliff's own sordid and mysterious history how he ended up on the streets, we don't know. Maybe we will never know. It has a slightly Les Miserables quality about it, or uh, Dickensian, and Oliver Twistian air about it. Heathcliff is a mystery, perhaps even to himself. From whence did I appear? How did I arrive in these sumptuous surroundings? Um which will soon be tinged with terrible, terrible grief. When Kathy, who has introduced herself to him by spitting on him, when she eventually perishes and uh, full of Heathcliff's love, they are going to fall in love, these star-crossed lovers, Heathcliff and Catherine. So, you know, uh, you know, this is a love story, I guess of a sort whether there will be new love discovered perhaps between Lockwood and the young Heathcliff widow remains to be seen but uh, yeah we're in it we're learning we're unspooling and we're enjoying again I will tell you how you are feeling about the matter you're enjoying so that's it let's leave it off there we will pick up next week on another uh, funny-voiced episode of Obscure. But until then, I wish you adieu. This season of Obscure is produced by me, Michael Ian Black, and Robin Lin. Our theme music is by Craig Wedrin. If you listen and like the show, please help us out with a rating. And a review. We want to be obscure, but not that obscure. It's an easy way to support the show. Thanks.
0: Look around. You can find cars like these on
1: AutoTrader new cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. <laughs>